Alea is vast, vibrant, simultaneously stunning as well as challenging and confusing. At Together LA, this city is our passion. We know that loving LA well starts with listening. Pounding the pavement in search of the individuals invested in the flourishing of Los Angeles. These are the inspiring stories and real-life interviews with the men and women who work to bring the gospel to LA in their unique ways. Thanks for joining us as we bring you closer to the heart of LA, one story, one voice, and one neighborhood at a time. This is the Together LA Listening Tour. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Today, I get a chance, uh, Tommy Lee here from Together LA's podcast, The Listening Tour. I get a chance to talk with Jamie Edwards Acton, someone who one of our staff or one of our my colleagues, Michael, uh, Dr. Michael Mata says, you have to talk with. Uh, so, Jamie, welcome. And why do you think Michael says that, that I have to talk with you? Uh, well, I don't know. I paid him good money to say that. That could be the reason. Um, but uh, I appreciate that. He's uh, someone, uh, a, a person, and his work I respect uh, deeply. So uh, any kind words coming from Michael Mata is high praise. So. Hey, tell me about yourself. I, we were just talking beforehand. You run a nonprofit. You run, uh, you serve as a pastor. Tell me a little bit about your journey, uh, because you've only been in L.A. since 1990. I'd love to hear a little bit more about you. Sure. Well, I grew up. Uh, I grew up in a, a big family in an empire. Uh, I have ten siblings, and um, we uh, didn't grow up um, in a church experience. And uh, kind of um, uh, grew up with kind of what I would call progressive parents at the time. And we had a kind of progressive family, a multiracial family, and. Um, I, you know, live my typical life in a small kind of town of Hammock, California, if you've ever heard of that place. And, uh, and then I went off to school and, uh, and then went off, uh, didn't quite finish college on the usual track and uh, ended up uh, taking some time off uh, my own gap year, which turned into like a gap 10 years. And, um, and during that time where I, uh, trained to become a, um, I learned to become a cook and cooked at restaurants and stuff, moved up to the Bay area where my, uh, sister was. And, um, and then during that time, while I was up, uh, there for a couple of years, I kind of started to be interested in, um, just, you know, uh, really just Jesus, uh, of Nazareth more than anything and less uh, church experience, but kind of was drawn in and I ended up, um, getting baptized up there. And when I, and when I was 30 years old and I moved down to LA and I did the first year of a, um, a pilot program that was called the Episcopal urban intern program. And I lived in Inglewood at the church there yeah. uh, with four other young people who had, uh, you know, graduated from college or nearly graduated from college. Um, and that kind of just uh, started my uh, journey in the church. And that led to me, uh, not only becoming involved with the church, but being ordained. I met my wife at that church. Um, we went to seminary in Austin, Texas, graduated in 1994, uh, uh, or graduated in 97, rather. And then uh, we came home, and I've been working in churches in L.A. ever since. Very, very, very. Well, the one thing that stuck out is you you were a chef for a period of time. Yeah. What was yeah, I was a uh, well, uh, I wouldn't call it specialty. I, my first intro into it was cooking. And I went to UC Santa Barbara and I worked while I went to school. And I uh, was 
I worked for Marriott that ran a big off-campus dormitory there. Yeah. And um, I was a dishwasher, uh, but the weekend cook didn't show up one evening and the manager called into the into the dish room and said, Acton, get over here. You're, you know, you're cooking tonight. And that was uh, <laughs> the first night of cooking and baking for the next uh, 12 years, all the way. My last paid job was in seminary. I was uh, one of the cooks at seminary as well. Okay. What's your specialty dish that you had? Um, I, we, you know, I did a lot of, uh, in the restaurant work, did a lot of, um, kind of California cuisine. And yeah. I am, I mostly work like the daytime shifts uh, that was breakfast and lunch stuff. So it was just kind of, you know, takes and plays on kind of dabbling with this type of ethnic cuisine and that, and kind of, you know, uh, you know, just it's kind of a mishmash of stuff, but that really revolved around breakfast and lunch. And I never really became like a fine, you know, a chef uh, that would be recognized or a fine baker or pastry chef, but uh, I knew how to make a restaurant happen. So. Very, very, very good. And now tell me a little bit about your church and your nonprofit. I know Michael is on your board. Love yep. to hear a little bit about your church or your nonprofit that you guys have started. Yeah. Well, let me tell you, I'll just, I went to uh, my first church. Uh, um, I have two churches now, but the uh, St. Stephen's in Hollywood, St. Stephen's Episcopal Church in Hollywood. I've been there since 1999. And soon after getting there, um, I joined kind of a conversation with a couple of other colleagues who were also in Episcopal churches that were kind of in urban environments that were in, you know, the communities were under-resourced, more lower income. And um, one was in South Los Angeles um, on at St. Philip's on Adams with Alta Gracia Perez and then Gary Cummins, who was at Holy Faith in Inglewood. And we... Um, we came together and we were thinking, gosh, it's, you know, we have so much need in these immediate communities that we're serving yeah. and, and we have these great ideas, uh, but we have to do these bake sales and we have to do these, you know, trying to ask people for donations stuff. And it'd be nice if we could, and nobody at that time was really, uh, giving any kind of grants to churches, correct, like correct, foundations correct, correct. and stuff. So we said, we came together to figure out how we might address that. And we came up with the idea of creating a separate 501c3 nonprofit that would kind of take up the programming that we were already doing and scale it up uh, for greater impact because we weren't, you know, as Episcopal, progressive Episcopal priests, we weren't interested in proselytizing or converting anybody to this or that. We just wanted to do the work, right? We just wanted uh, to make the impact in the community. So we created a nonprofit and suddenly just like a, you know, a, a light going off, then people we're able to talk to us like foundations and other government yeah, funding yeah. and stuff like that. And so um, it allowed us to kind of just grow from there. So we've been going, uh, we're selling this year, we're celebrating our 20th anniversary wow. as a actual yeah. nonprofit. Yeah. And, um, and during that time oh, we've wow. really focused on uh, I mean, we've taken different shapes over the years, but we focused in two different areas. One is on kind of uh, health justice and health leadership and then or yeah health justice and then the other is on uh leadership development particularly as it pertains to young adults and um we've had various programs throughout the years but of late we're um kind of uh focused on we have two uh main programs we are uh we have the jubilee year los angeles which is um, a year of service uh, where young people who finish college come and live together in community and they work 
at different uh, nonprofits. It's like an AmeriCorps program or Teach for America, something like that. Uh, and they get a very kind of humble stipend and, you know, everything else to take care of them. It's a way to for them to have an experience uh, in a different place with different people to get their foot in the door at uh, working at a nonprofit because they work at kind of with other staff at kind of they're given significant responsibilities and stuff like that. Um, that program has been going for 30 years. That one I mentioned that I came in 1990 and joined uh, or 91, that was the first year of the program. And I was in that first class. So now I run the program that 30 years ago was uh, I was in that first class of. Um, and we, we every year is a little bit different. We could have anywhere from six to 28 core members uh, living in Los Angeles at a variety of different houses. And uh, the idea is really just to provide an experience for these young people uh, where they can really kind of jump into the nonprofit scene and um, and just to see if it's something they want to devote their yeah. lives to. And uh, and a lot of them do. A lot of them go on to be to continue to work in the nonprofit sector or the educational sector or even at times the church. Um, so um, we feel like we're doing a good job of, yeah. you know, helping to shape young adults and, hey. and to really bring their leadership to the fore. Ju uh, what Jubilee, are you getting these young adults from Los Angeles or are they coming from all parts of the country? All parts of the country, all parts of the world. Yeah. Um, so uh, we have, uh, yeah, sometimes, I mean, this year we have someone from Bolivia. So, you know, we they our reach can be far, but typically it's from the United States. Occasionally we'll have uh, folks from the LA area. Um, we try not to have them right next door. Like if they, you know, grew up down the street, just because we, Want them, we want that kind of uh, equality of experience that all these folks coming in from around the country have in terms of being in a new place, right, yeah. where they have to make a new community. So, uh, But at times, we'll draw people from, like we have someone from Riverside County this year, and we draw people from, you know, all over California, but all over the country. Got it, got it, got it. So for you, is it more classroom work? Are they involved? Is it hands-on or a combination of both? It's very much hands-on. It is a combination of both, but it's very much hands-on. Uh, there is a curriculum kind of, it's a curriculum-driven year. Uh, in, and then there's also kind of a, a rule of life driven as well, as, as far as the community is concerned, like, you know, kind of uh, guides uh, on how that we've developed over the years on how to live in community together. Because, you know, if you've ever lived in community, especially with people you didn't choose, it's not this you know, just non-bumpy road. Let's just put it that way. And so it's nice to have tools to navigate that. There's also a social justice curriculum that uh, we look at big themes every month and, and kind of uh, focus on those, whether it be work or education or health care, stuff like that. Um, throughout the year, they go on retreat uh, four times throughout the year uh, where they have kind of time away where they can reflect and, and uh, rejuvenate and get ready for that next, uh, you know, stage of their program. We also have a, a kind of different levels of support services. There's the base community where they live at that uh, is surrounded by a church community uh, that ends up supporting them during the program and after the program for years and years. Uh, they have mentors. Um, each one is uh, paired up with a mentor, at least one who often become significant mentors in their life, you know, well after the program. Yeah. So we try to surround them with a lot of uh, care and nurturing um, and just uh, in, in kind of uh, encourage them to explore 
themes of social justice and and uh, and community living. Yeah, Jim, what's the name of the nonprofit? Jubilee Consortium. Jubilee, and it's a it's a mouthful. Uh, we had the idea when we started the nonprofit. This is what happens when you put three pastors in the same room together to start a nonprofit. And Jubilee, as you may well know, um, Tommy is a concept in Hebrew scripture, yeah. so like the the great Sabbath, right? And fifty years where uh, it's the it's the the rest year of all rest times where um, the land is allowed to go, you know, unplanted for a year. Debts are forgiven. Uh, slaves are released to be, you know, free. So it's a concept of liberation that we embraced in our own particular ministries and wanted to try to be about that as we went forward with Jubilee Consortium. And all this time for all this time, this, have you been balancing both the nonprofit running that as well as the church here, Jamie? Well, I uh, for the first uh, probably five years, I was a founding board member and yeah. on the board, and um, and the offices were located at the church where I serve in Hollywood. Um, and then our second uh, our second executive director left suddenly, and I stepped in in an interim role um, to just kind of manage things because we had a few government contracts at that time where we do the other programs, and really came to and kind of downsized my work a little bit at church and I and uh, I really came to uh, love it and so after doing it for that interim period you know approached the board about just continuing on as executive director they love the idea and I've been doing it ever since wow okay now your role at the church are you how much do you spend time there how do you balance both of those things well, my church, it is full time. I, I uh, so I, I work technically about on paper. I work about one day a week at the yeah. nonprofit Eugene Consortium. Um, I work five days at the other two churches and I kind of thank goodness I live right next to the church in Eagle Rock. So I don't have to do too much commuting. Um, and I've only been doing that for the last four years. And that was the church in uh, Eagle Rock. St. Barnabas was a church that officially closed its doors and handed over the keys to the diocese. It, it was just kind of a, a community that had become smaller and smaller. And, and I think just ran out of energy, you know, and, um, but it's, uh, it's, it's such a great neighborhood. If you know, Eagle Rock is such a wonderful part of Los Angeles that I feel like there should be a vibrant, creative, bilingual, uh, Episcopal presence here in this part of Los Angeles. So uh, I, the, the diocese and I uh, talked about doing something and they kind of gave me the green light to, to run with it. And I have, and, and so we've been kind of, we yeah. did that right before the pandemic. So it was a little challenging because uh, we had to, we had to close as soon as we started. But in the meantime, yeah. we've, um, we've built a small little congregation and we've uh, started a, a yeah. fine arts preschool here and, and uh, done a number of other things that we're yeah. pretty excited about. Well, I think a lot of times, even as people listen to this, they're going to say, Jamie, how do you shift your mind from, okay, pastor, then you guys are starting a preschool and all of that other stuff to running a nonprofit. How do you organize your day tangibly to switch from one thing to another and still be kept on, on point with all of those things? Well, that, that's a big assumption, Tommy, that I'm organized or that I organize my day. But I, uh, I, I do think that a lot of it is, the nice thing is that a lot of it is, happens together right there's a lot of opportunity for collaboration between the two churches between jubilee and saint stephen's and other churches not just ones i run but around the diocese so there's always opportunities uh, where you don't have to like segment everything you know like everything is somehow disconnected from each other uh, so i think it helps to see 
all these all these as kind of pieces of a whole and uh so i i, I see my own ministry like that where i don't I, i'm i don't when i think of my congregation it's not just who's in the pew i think of yeah. who who are these communities of people that i serve it could be people that are in the pew on sundays uh, parents at the school during the week uh, you know, the, the families and, and um, of the, the people that our nonprofit serves, the young people that our nonprofit serves, the, the young adults that are in the program. I mean, I have, a, I have a very diverse, vibrant congregation the way that I think about it. And um, so I think that allows me to, uh, to be able to kind of hold it all together. Yeah, yeah. Do you have to do a lot of fundraising these days? Do you like how big is your team? The team's pretty big. We have a pretty, uh, we've, we've grown over the years. Um, we, uh, for the nonprofit, uh, well, actually for both the church and the non, both churches and nonprofit, we are primarily funded now through, uh, social enterprise. Yeah. So, um, social enterprise became a passion of mine as soon as I stepped foot at, uh, in Hollywood. And I'm in this congregation that is, um, you know, economically is on the lower end of the scale, yeah. a lot of immigrants in the, in our church and, and, um, and just, uh, living, trying to live faithfully by the benefactor model of the church, right. Where if everyone just gives this, yep. whatever percent we'll be fine. We'll have whatever we yep. need to have successful ministry. That's just bogus. That's not, that's a myth. And really it's a, the benefactor system is a system that is set up you know, by those who have resources, that's, that's, it's modeled like that. And I think people should give and everything, but it, I do want people to acknowledge the inequity in that, that systemic mm, thing. So, so I became very uh, interested with my congregation. I said, look, we can, one way to level the playing field here is if uh, we, if we focused on generating our own earned income streams yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah. and I'm, I'm not much, you know, I'm not a capitalist by heart. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, so yeah. I had to really, you know, I, this is a social, this is a justice thing for me and Correct. I'm trying to level that playing field so that if our small community, although collectively passing the hat doesn't come up with much, we can create a preschool that then generates, you know, $1.2 million a year. That's a whole different ball game or, or creates, you know, like 30 jobs um, or whatever, you know, good jobs. That's something to get really excited about. And it's, uh, and I, and I think it's really done a lot for our self-esteem as a community to, to know that we are also entrepreneurial and we can really have a, we can, we can, we can find ways to fund, the the uh, visions for ministry and impact we have in the community. Yeah. So. Hey, besides uh, uh, preschool in terms of social enterprise, what other projects have you guys launched that creates revenue? Uh, well, we have uh, we do stuff. We have a we have two community gardens at each of the uh, you know one at even each of the churches. We've done in the past. We've sold uh, seedlings and we've had CSA subscriptions where you subscribe to you know fresh produce that's grown in the gardens, and uh, we have an ice cream truck. Uh, that we it's called Hope Ice Cream Truck. Uh, we have we have obviously we've inherited these wonderful facilities at each of our sites that we have uh, utilized to partner with other nonprofits, other entities, at something as simple as rent or uh, theater companies that have come in for productions, uh, for um, you know parking for neighbor, you know, for the neighbors that are impacting camp park in the neighborhood. Um, You know, so we really have a wide array of different uh, social enterprises, the nonprofit, the Jubilee uh, consortium nonprofit um, 
it's we, the social, the JYLA program or the Jubilee Year Los Angeles, that year of service that initially was kind of primarily a grant funded program, but we slowly converted it into a fee for service program because nonprofits that we were working with easily saw the value um, of these young people um, yep. coming and working at the, even if they were inexperienced or didn't yep. You know, yep. study in that area, they saw the value of the, having these these very intelligent kind of passionate committed young people and so they were willing to pay um now it allows them to uh it allows those nonprofits to innovate in an area that they don't have the funding for right now because they don't have the funding for a full-time you know whoever with benefits and everything um to cover that but this is a kind of a, a foot in the door for both the nonprofit to innovate in that area and yeah. for the young person uh who is experiencing that I love that idea. Okay, so, and the reason I say this is I actually run four or five different organizations, Jamie, and yeah. I realize, so I built cell towers for the longest time, and I realized in order to give the cell tower, you got to work with construction managers, structural engineers, FA, FCC, environmental, so I learned overnight how everyone is working on it. You got to balance everything. So I just took that experience and I run four or five different organizations that gives me income that funds everything that I do. That's but right. a lot of people don't think like that. Right, and right. so one of the questions that they're going to say is, how then do you decide what projects do you work on? Because do you just do any projects that come to your mind? Who decides that for you? How do you figure well, that out? Well, one of the thing, one of the things I started too was Episcopal Enterprises. It's a, it, it was an idea that I had years ago to build on this social enterprise idea within the Episcopal context, not exclusively, but really try to wake up the Episcopal Church to this idea. And so, created Episcopal Enterprises, which is now an institution of the Diocese of Los Angeles, and I still run it with a colleague of mine named Betsy Densmore, who teaches social enterprise at UCLA and USC and Pepperdine. Yeah, and and. And what we do is we, we, we are trying to teach churches, right? We're trying to yeah. encourage them to think about this. And the, the, it's, not, it's not normal. It's not normal. It's thing, not normal. Right? Yeah. It's not normal. And that question comes up is how do you choose, right? And, yeah. for, and what we do is we try to, you know, you try to find that sweet spot, right? The, the ideally, this is not the only way to do it, but ideally, if you are a nonprofit church or something like that or a nonprofit, uh, you know, uh, organization, and you're trying to start a business, the best ones are where the mission overlaps, you know, where the where the mission kind of uh, intersects or seamlessly with, uh, you know, what you're actually doing, right? Yeah. Um, so, for an example, um, you would say like, um, uh, let's say like uh, Thistle Farms. Have you heard of Thistle Farms? Uh, Thistle Farms is started by Episcopal priest Becca Stevens in Nashville, Tennessee very well known. They sell products worldwide. And she had a passion when she started at her ministry, she had a passion of working with women who had been trafficked and, yeah. you know, uh, were wrestling with addiction and stuff. And she wanted to create safe spaces for them to live and, and, um, and to be in community and stuff. And soon after they did that, she realized that they needed some work, you know, they needed some meaningful work. And so what they ended up doing was creating products like healing oils right and balms and stuff that uh that you know were used in all kinds of ways essential oils lotions all this you know shampoos all that but it was all around this kind of concept of healing right and um so that that healing you know that product that they in or that line of products they ended up selling right uh aroma candles all that kind of stuff that all went toward that was all like 
you know, in parallel with what the ministry was actually about, bringing these women together, trying yeah. to heal them, to yeah. make them whole, all that. That's, we try to find that sweet spot yeah. with churches. If you can find a sweet spot between, yeah. the, you know, where the yeah. business and the yeah. ministry, the yeah. ministry uh, intersect, that's where it's best. Yeah. Yeah. Jamie, I, I told, I think I know why Michael wanted us to talk because I think like you, and I think a lot of times when I talk with pastors and ministry leaders, they look at me and they have zero clue what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm driven by necessity too, right? Which I'm sure you are. And it's like, uh, if, if I can't get, uh, you know, the funding, you know, through traditional means, right? I, um, for, to, to do what we want to do in this community, I don't want to abandon that community and go look for a community where that model works, right? That traditional model works. I want to try to create and innovate something where yeah. we can make it work in this context. So yeah. that's what I've been most passionate about, you know, my 20 plus years of ministry. But Jamie, wouldn't you say a lot of times that is becoming more the norm? The modern age ministry leader, pastor, is no longer, I'm going to go to seminary full-time, then from that point, I'll work in church and collect a full-time salary. You may wear different hats. Your church may need to start different projects. You may need to be bivocational. You may need to do something that creates income. So you've got to be used to wearing different hats now. Yeah, and and I think that's a good thing. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I, I mean, it can be it can be uh, hard sometimes. Don't get me wrong, you know. But yeah, yeah, but yeah. I think the opportunities are that one, it keeps the pastor in the real world, right? Like in you know connected and what others are going through and what others need to do um, to uh, you know just to keep going. And it allows that it allows the pastor an avenue in the world too to really kind of you know kind of keep the conversation going out there, you know? Yeah. Um, it also, if you can't, if you're not doing, if you're not there, the pastor is not there all the time. It, you're, you're more dependent, right? On others to, for leadership. And yeah. so the, to lifting up leaders, it becomes a requisite. It's like you have to, to make it all happen. Uh, we're going to have to lead this thing together. And that's when it gets yeah. really cool is when, you know, when, when you just see people start to shine and, yeah. um, and really take those leadership roles. And would you say a lot of times the worst, not the worst thing is I, I tell ministries or churches, look, when you start a business, that doesn't mean you start a coffee shop because you're going to have to spend so much money on buying equipment. Let's say, for instance, you have a couple of bookkeepers and accountants who have some time and then a bunch of the neighborhood smaller nonprofits are depending on volunteers. Help them out with bookkeeping. Hey, get someone to donate a Chromebook for four or $500. Start off with Excel spreadsheets. Keep track of all of their finances, all of that stuff. Or you have a couple of creative young people. Get them to do social media. Charge a ministry $500 to $700 a month. Get seven clients. That's $4,900 a month. That's right. <laughs> that's right. We that's And that's an idea we've done for years, right? Yeah. So we, we contract out our, not just accounting and bookkeeping services, yeah. but our maintenance services, our custodial services, oh, yeah, our yeah, admin. Yeah. So, so, you know, uh, especially when you look at smaller churches, but nonprofits too, you know, they've got a limited amount of money and they lay, they got this yes. tiny little yes. amount of money said, we need out of that, we need a bookkeeper, a maintenance person, a custodian, a, you know, all that. Well, you could get it if somebody else was kind of offering that full suite, you know, like with like here, you can have this percentage of time. I think it's a great cooperative way of yeah. trying to get those things done. Correct, 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 correct. Hey, I love your spirit. I love talking with you. And for you is, do you, 
for how do you manage your day? Like for instance, Jamie, I actually have someone who reads my emails full time. I have someone who coordinates all my schedule, make sure, and all of these are former stay-at-home moms who mm-hmm. formerly worked in the business world, but they have 10 a.m. to 3 o'clock free. They are so efficient, and they run my entire life. How do you keep organized? Um, well, I think, uh, again, I think that's an assumption, but I'll, do, I'll, I'll pretend that I do keep organized. I do depend on a lot of people now, like you do, Tommy. I have, I have wonderful, committed, um, you know, uh, well, now we have like a whole – level of i have wonderful operations manager i have two administrators i have um two preschool directors i have program directors for the nonprofit, uh and then you know uh 40 something teachers uh you know i depend on them once um, my goal is i i think my role is to like seeing them you know those capabilities and to lift them up and to affirm them that they have those um, you know, uh, skill sets, right. Whatever to be successful in what they're doing, if they need training, if they need support, whatever we get that to them. But once they get that, then too, I'm relying on them. I turn to them for my guidance, right. You tell me what we need. Um, And I think the more, uh, the more of that I can do that frees me up then, uh, to, read my emails or to, you know, have really the one-to-ones with people that are the, the real key work in yeah. uh, whether it's the nonprofit or the church work, it's that one-to-one conversations that are the most important. Well, last thing, and Jamie, I keep telling you them is I need you to learn to think. Even if you fail, I just need you to mm-hmm. think it out. And if you mm-hmm. fail, it's okay. But look at the process, anticipate what's wrong, figure out what you did wrong, what went well, and then learn from it and continue to build on it. That's right. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I think that's, uh, we do that with each other and that's when community has its finest, you know, yeah. uh, is when we're allowing that kind of, when, when we're uh, taking that responsibility for each other, but we're allowing that space for each other, right. right? To fall, as they say, you know, social entrepreneurs, they always say fall forward, right. Falling, you know, f- failing or fail forward, right. Failing is part of the whole thing. That's how you learn. That's how you get better. So yeah. fail forward so that you're whatever you're, you know, you didn't do as well as you wanted to do, learn from it. And just so you don't yeah. repeat it. So. Hey, where can people find you? I mean, social media, website, all of that stuff. Well, you can, uh, at all of those entities have websites and social media. So it could be uh, St. Stephen's Hollywood or St. Barnabas and Eagle Rock or Jubilee Consortium or Episcopal Enterprises. All of those have uh, both a .org uh, website um, and then social media, both on Facebook and uh, Instagram. Love this conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for just spending a few minutes with me today. Yeah. Thank you, Tommy. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Together LA listening tour. To stay connected, make sure you subscribe to the Together LA channel, rate and review this episode, and make sure to share on your social media platforms. We would love for you to follow along with Together LA on Instagram, Facebook, and our website at www.togetherla.net. See you next time.